Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, back again for episode 92. And this time I'm joined by Phil Tyra. Am I pronouncing that correctly? That is correct, yeah. Lots of people stumble over that, but no, that's perfect. You'd think it should be Tyler, right? Yeah, well, lots of people kind of read it. The R turns into an L and then it's Phil Tyler, and then I have to correct them. But no, yeah, Tyra, perfect. <laughs> and a long-time Football Index trader who's recently got out of Football Index jail, I guess. Yeah, I guess it was, I think it was 18 days in total. I'm sure we're going to cover it in far more detail over the next hour. But yeah, no, it was uh, certainly an experience. <laughs> so why don't you begin with the good? Tell us a bit about your Football Index journey and kind of where you found the platform and how you've come on since then. Uh, how I found the platform? Um, I'm not actually sure how I found the platform. I imagine it was just from kind of social media. I wasn't recommended it by a friend or anything, but I, I got on it, I guess, in January 2016. I only put, I think, about 20 quid, and I went back to look at my uh, first transactions. I think I bought Mara's and De Bruyne, which turn out now to be, I don't know, all right uh, buys when you compare to some buys, you know, people buying Danny Welbeck and all that. But no, that was all right. And uh, so I put 20 quid in in January 2016, and then I guess got into it a bit more seriously come probably April 2016, I put in uh, two, two or three grand. And then from there, I've kind of just snowballed that money and uh, kind of built it up to what it is today. Mm, and that money in your head must have been at risk when you were uh, yeah. when you were suspended. So why don't you? Because I, I think obviously we got so many questions about did, this, yeah. and, and maybe because of the way I phrased it. But well, actually, before we get into that, I just wanted to plug a quick thing. Sorry, guys, uh, going to plug myself, show myself. Uh, just released a video on YouTube, the Football Index Trader review. So you guys know Football Index Trader. Uh, he's does quite a lot of good work, a lot of great written content. He's got a premium kind of members group on his website. And I did a little review of that, which was pretty cool. Enjoyed making that one. And uh, yeah, if you guys haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. And if you haven't left a review, please do so already. Uh, I've seen a few people leaving some reviews recently, and it's uh, heartwarming to say the least. But Aaron Kearney, I think, gave the most kind of generalistic question in this, <laughs> in this kind of bracket of uh, conversation. Please give Phil the floor for five minutes. The whole suspension thing was really worrying. So I want to hear from him, if he's allowed, to talk through the events of the last month in as much or as little detail as he likes. Yeah, I guess I'll uh, go ahead. So I woke up on a normal Friday morning. It was, I think it was the 21st of June. I've got it written down here. So woken on Friday, I think I tried to buy a player, something like that, and just said, you know, your account suspended, get in contact with customer services at Football Index or gave me a mobile number to call. So I dropped them an email uh, kind of saying, oh, is this something to do with, you know, ID checks or wealth checks? Because I know that's quite a prominent thing across Twitter. I see lots of people having to fill them in quite regularly, by regularly, you know, every few months or every year, something like that. So I thought it'll, it'll probably just be that. And uh, it turned out that it wasn't that. They said uh, your account's been flagged and it's being investigated by compliance and regarding unusual trading patterns. So I thought, wow, I have no idea. But I thought, well, I thought it was a mistake because... I haven't done any unusual trading. Uh, I kind of looked through my last few buys and it was uh, very normal players in small amounts, nothing that could possibly influence the market. It was in 500s. So I think it's 900 to move a player by a penny. So I thought, you know, it's just been a mistake. And then I just left it a few days. I left it three, four days. Just thought, you know, it's going to clear up. They're just going to go through my transaction history and realize that there's nothing untoward and just uh, unsuspend me. But I went, I think got to about five days and I sent a kind of follow-up email saying, Number one, I don't really know why I've been suspended. You've just kind of suggested that I've, uh, I don't know, done something unusual. So maybe if you could tell me, then I could help you, I guess, and put any worries aside that, that you may have. And then also, if that's not possible, because I know certain investigations, they want to keep things under wraps. 
um, could you tell me like a time length that this will take? Because I thought in my head, if there's a, if you're worried that I'm, I don't know, doing something that's breaking terms and conditions or something, you can just look into it without suspending someone. You can just go and see, is that person doing something that they shouldn't be doing? Yes, no. And then just go on from there. So um, mm. I just got a pretty much a flat answer back. Uh, it very much looked like a copy and paste job. The text was, you know, different font, different size to usual. Uh, just kind of referencing the uh, like 11C of the terms and conditions saying we have a right to suspend you for 30 days or more pending investigation, etc. So sorry for the inconvenience, but that was that. So I thought, wow, that's, uh, you know, not handled great exactly because I know it wasn't obvious to them and probably obvious to other Twitter people and in the FI community, but I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. So without having, they didn't really support or supply me any evidence regarding what I did. So I was just a bit bemused, to be honest. Um, so then I started at that point, I started to kind of think, um, I don't know, I wasn't kind of planning as such, but if it was to go kind of the wrong way here, I was thinking, I think there's the independent betting adjudication service that kind of cover and kind of regulate the betting market, the kind of gambling commission. It's kind of like the gambling commission, but it's independent. Mm. So I was kind of thinking, you know, is this something I'm going to have to raise with them? Because I know I hadn't done anything wrong. And you know, 30 days or longer, that's kind of in perpetuity. I, I could be suspended for, you know, a year or something. I was obviously getting a bit ahead of myself, but I was thinking it really could get to that stage. So then I guess that was day five. So I kind of waited patiently, I guess, for the next 10 days. And I think after about two weeks, so 14 to 15 days, I saw some people contacting, I think it's Simone who works mm. in the, I don't know, operations. Well, compliance, I, believe I believe is the is the kind of head of compliance, so to Fantastic. speak. Fantastic. So, Something like that. I contacted her and um, she pretty much just said, oh, it's not nothing to do with your, you know, unusual trading patterns. It's a technical bug that we're looking into uh, due to you may, may be buying shares and your account balance not being uh, debited for those shares. So at this point, I'm thinking, what the hell's going on, to be honest? You're saying it was my fault. You're now not saying it's my fault. So obviously, it was good news because it kind of puts lot of worries to bed that I, I don't know, had done something and didn't realize. Um, but at the same time, I thought this is not particularly great. But to be fair to her, she was actually fantastic. She responded so quickly and got it sorted, I guess, relatively quickly from then on about three, four days. And luckily, I wasn't affected by this technical bug. But I know that some others were that mm. uh, I think it took a bit longer. So I guess that's my kind of journey from day one to day 18. And then luckily, I got unsuspended. Uh, yeah, it's uh, quite the ordeal, isn't it? It and is, yeah. The, the thing that really not worries me but bugs me is that kind of just regurgitating the c's and c's because if you're a company i think a really bad way to do customer service is by saying legally we're allowed to do this mm. <laughs> I think so that, puts people that worries off, me it? yeah yeah i think that's the main thing right like mm. i think what aaron said here it's really worrying him and he's probably not on his own in thinking that yeah, I think I'm completely for people being suspended if there is evidence supporting that they should be suspended. I just think the communication was completely wrong. You know, like you said, just communicating terms and conditions over and over again, pretty much a brick wall for the first two weeks until I got through. And then it turned out to be a completely different reason. It was just a bit worrying in that sense. But I think if they said right at the start, there's a technical bug, this may take up to two weeks. I'm really sorry. I think I'd be mm. far more sympathetic. And if everyone was being suspended for the same reason, then you can kind of very easily scalably do that. Yeah, exactly. So, but obviously here I'm kind of, these are very much negative points, but when it came to it, I kind of brought up pretty much the points I brought up here, kind of suggesting, you know, this wasn't particularly the right way to go about communa, kind of communicating with customers, customer service. And 
I was told that it was kind of brought up in follow-up meetings and they kind of are going to learn from it. So that's a positive take from a kind of negative experience. Mm. Yeah, I do worry though that if you are three or four years in, although we're trying to put a positive spin on it from that perspective, does it take something like this really for, for Football Index to, to really understand that the way they've communicated in this situation is wrong? And I think it's not you know, the whole way or the process they do things. It's more perhaps actually not having enough Simonis, for example, Hmm. in that role. If clearly there is a need for more people in that role, then you just hire more people in that role. And if those people in those roles aren't doing a good enough job, then maybe it's time to look at hiring more talented people, even if you're in your customer service division. But I always talk about kind of scalable comms on the show. Talked about it quite a bit before where if this thing is going to go from 400,000 users to 1.5 million, which is triple, then you don't necessarily have to triple your amount of customer service people. Mm. That's not really the way kind of digital first companies work or companies that are doing really well for themselves work. You find a way to appease more customers by changing your process and manner of doing things rather than just hiring more people. So I think if it was the same kind of problem with everyone's account then why didn't they just come out and say look there are a number of suspended accounts we're not going to reply to everyone individually but this is what's happened and i think that's the main point to be honest it's that main point about this is what happened i think regarding there you know there are two different stories told to me by two different maybe areas or set of people there's clearly been an internal communication issue here because it should no matter what size of the company or, you know, who they're talking to. It shouldn't be pretty much your fault initially and then turn into maybe their fault or vice versa. If you're going to suspend someone, you've got to have a valid reason. And it kind of that reason changed over the kind of 18 days, which I think that's the main concern. Mm, and I think it's also worryingly symbiotic to kind of gambling companies, right? They do that pretty often where they just shut down people's accounts without a word of, you know, empathy. Yeah, no, that does happen. I was, that's kind of something I was... I guess, thinking about a little bit, because obviously Football Index, although it acts like a stock market, it's very much, it's still kind of a betting site. So when you buy a player, that is an in-play bet. So I saw a few articles regarding the kind of rules and regulations regarding how betting companies can kind of void bets. So in this Mm. case, Football Index voiding a bet would say, if I bought Neymar for a pound, he's now eight pounds. They could just void that bet and just give you back that one pound, even though in your head, that's very much profit. You know, I guess the cash out value would be eight pounds in that example and there was some kind of dispute about how betting companies can do that so i was getting you know in the worst case scenario you know they want to close my account i was kind of thinking i bought neymar for one pound 70 i've got a hell of a lot of him and he's what now uh seven pounds something you know i could have lost a fair amount of profit there that i've kind of accumulated over a couple of years hmm. so that was also a concern <laughs> uh, it's kind of yeah i, I don't really know what more one. to say on this have, have you got any other kind of comments before we move on no i mean it was it's kind of all done now and uh i guess a lot of the kind of 18 days i was kind of thinking about lots of what ifs and uh, different scenarios but i think we've basically covered it uh hopefully they take a kind of it's a learning curve and i've kind mm. of communicated the main issue i think the communication and the reasoning yeah. as well and like you said, kind of just shoving terms and conditions down people's throat isn't, although it's legally allowed, it's not particularly the best way to go about it. Not the best way to retain customers, oh. is it? I think Zen and the art of football index said, how important is your mindset to your training? thought you showed amazing calm throughout your suspension with what you wrote on Twitter instead of ranting. So why don't you talk about a bit 
because I think you've talked about your journey in terms of the steps, but maybe not so much what you were thinking. So why don't you go into that a bit more and then talk a bit about your kind of trading mindset? Yeah, that's fine. I'll cover the kind of suspension bit first. I guess my mindset regarding the suspension was and how I kind of, I guess, kept my cool. In many respects, I didn't keep my cool. I just didn't put it on Twitter. So not everyone sees that. For example, I've, <laughs> I've been talking to you about going to the independent betting adjudication service, you know, taking it, thinking about kind of if it had to go to a court of some law, how would I be able to defend myself? How kind of the evidence regarding, you know, transaction history tried to prove that I'm innocent in a way. So in many respects, I didn't keep my cool, but I just thought, what's the point of moaning and ranting on Twitter and to other people? Um, because I guess that doesn't help. And if anything, it just irritates them. I wasn't emailing for Blindex five times, 10 times a day because it kind of seemed like it was just a brick wall and the customer service team had just been kind of told that this is the information, this is this what you'd share with those suspended accounts. There's nothing more to say. So I guess in a way, I kept my call on Twitter because I just didn't want to tweet too much about it. And I kind of kept my ranting in real life a bit. Um, regarding mindset to trading, I'd say mindset's quite important. I'd say the buying and selling aspect is slightly different. I'd say when you're selling, I'd say mindset's particularly important because I guess when I first started, if you're losing money on a player, it would be quite hard if I was, say, 10p down or 20p down players. I think, oh, no, let's sell, let's get rid. But as many people have said before me, it's all about the value of the share as it is now. So I guess my logic now really is if they go cheaper, not necessarily top up, it's not top up time, but um, it's more kind of if he's gone even lower down and the reasons for him going lower down aren't, you pretty much still value him at a price in your head. There's, it just gives you more reason to hold him at that price. I know that that could be counterintuitive in a way because you could be missing out on a key aspect of why that price is that case uh, like i mean i held lukaku mm. uh, when he moved to man U, thinking it'd be the number one man U striker for 10 years and then i was just very stubborn and just held him for ages and lost a lot of money but normally um if i have evidence and statistics and i have i have a fairly good knowledge of football i'm sure most people do if they're on the football index then i just kind of i believe in the player and eventually either through just growth of the platform or because he got i don't know linked to a club or he started performing well he will come good so that's the mindset, really. Regarding actual buying, uh, I guess the mindset is I trust in kind of the statistics. I've kind of covered it a bit, trusting the data and statistics of a player uh, regarding kind of research on who to buy. So it's kind of keeping a positive mindset. And when things are going sour, not becoming negative, kind of sticking to what you believe in, in a way. Mm, mm. It's interesting. I think uh, a lot of people do think in that way, and they've, they've succeeded much so on Football Index. So Tell me about kind of what kind of players need to tick your boxes for you to, to believe them from an FI, but believe in them from an FI. Standpoint. There's so many, there's so many factors. There's so many different strategies on how to make money. There are kind of, <laughs> I guess one of the main strategies I like to take, I think PB Man mentioned it on this podcast a couple episodes ago, but it's very much the dividends of a player, the expected dividends that they will earn over the career has to be at least the price of the player right now, if not more, probably about 10% more because of the kind of refreshment fee that you would pay every three years to keep that share in your portfolio, which is about 2% if you're just buying and selling, selling and buying, sorry. So that's something which is a kind of criteria, but obviously that's so hard to exactly predict because there's so many variables affecting how a player should be returning dividends. So I guess, obviously, playing in the Premier League, you have a greater pool regarding media buzz, particularly Manchester United, which I think we'll come on to a bit later. Um also, I use kind of third-party websites. I use, uh, well, whoscore.com is a fantastic website, which I use to kind of see how many passes they're making, how many shots they're taking, how many dribbles they're making. 
stuff like that, which uh, is really useful to kind of see. Maybe they're not playing in a fantastic club now, but if they were put into a, a team with a manager that likes to play attacking, passing football that wins a lot, um, how their game will change. So I'd say those are the things that kind of tick my box, and particular age as well, going back to kind of what I mentioned about dividends having, having to outweigh, in my eyes, uh, the cost of a player. The younger the player is, not necessarily saying, you know, by Greenwood and Brewster and all that, but the younger the player is, the more opportunity they have of making dividends and therefore covering their price, which is why the younger players are cheaper. Uh, sorry, more expensive, not cheaper. More expensive because <laughs> there's a kind of because they have longer careers to go to earn those dividends obviously not all of those young players are going to turn into world star players so some of those prices are overinflated and in a bubble however some may not be yeah it's a it's a really interesting way to look at it and it's i think we've talked about how logically the younger player trend makes sense but maybe illogically the number of players fitting that no, trend totally doesn't agree. make sense totally if that makes sense i i seem to have said if that makes sense quite a few times in those <laughs> sentences so uh, we'll move on to the next question which is from ben benigno who was on the previous podcast episode he, he was. was really really good uh guy who's been on football index since i know the uh literally the, the first was few early, weeks was the first couple really months and, yeah, yeah 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 uh really smart guy as well he says you're <laughs> an you. fi veteran <laughs> so you must have had some major highs and some lows what's been your favorite and least favorite memory or experience on fi to date trade rule change Probably discard your <laughs> suspension on this one as you've had a few questions about it. He's uh, predicted the future. We've uh, covered suspension quite a lot there. Um, no, I'd mm. say this is a... When I had this question, I thought, God, I really have to wrap my brain here because I've been on the platform for, what, three and a half years. And a lot of kind of things you forget about, to be honest. You know, a lot of the negatives and positives happen within a day. You know, the prices go up loads or prices drop loads. So, And then they could recover very quickly. But I've kind of... I think buying Neymar is one of the kind of positive things. When I bought him, he was about... What, four pounds in old money so you're talking about one pound 30 in new money and i think that was at the time maybe he just moved to psg or maybe he was still at barcelona i can't remember exactly but i was using kind of whoscore.com the website and he just you know it shouldn't be surprising lots of dribbles lots of being fouled lots of shooting lots of passes takes corners free kicks etc etc and then if it was just before he moved to PSG, him moving to PSG, I think, kind of persuaded me because it's a less competitive league, in my opinion, and therefore uh, he has greater chance of being on the ball for more time and therefore making more passes, more shots, etc., etc. So I think buying Neymar was one of the... It wasn't like a, an instant high, but it was something that has held its longevity over the two years I've held him. And I guess some other highs, like reaching 10k was a uh, 10k portfolio it was quite a moment i guess you put in 3k and then when it hit 10 it was just i guess another digit it just meant like if you were to hit 100k or a million it's just quite <laughs> symbolic isn't it it's kind of i guess cashing out three grand so i was playing only with profit that was quite nice it's quite nice knowing that if anything happened i wouldn't be i guess losing money although that'd be quite hard i guess just fine now if i completely lost my whole portfolio it would seem like losing money but <laughs> i guess kind of persuading other people who maybe don't know football index as much if i say oh i've put three grand in but i've taken three grand out and they go oh, okay so you know anything in there you know it's not the end of the world um i guess they don't know the full story um <laughs> uh, i guess some lows i guess i mentioned Marata and lukaku when i i held both an extreme amount i guess three thousand shares i think in each of them uh, which for me is quite a lot. And that was way back then, right? So, uh, I, Sorry, that's uh, new money. New money, so new money, okay. I guess it was 1,000 back then, 3,000 now. Sorry, I converted in my head. Um, 3,000 of each. <laughs> and I knew kind of, initially I thought Morata to United, Lukaku to Chelsea, and then they kind of did a little switch. 
And so I held lows. I was thinking, like I said earlier, they're going to be the number one striker for, you know, five to 10 years. They're going to, especially Kaku and Manu, he's a proven English uh, Premier League, sorry, uh, goal scorer. He'll be in the media low, score lots of goals. He's, you know, guaranteed to make money. So I had a lot of him and held him up until I think back then it was six pounds. And then he just dropped and dropped. And I thought, no, he'll come good. He'll come good. He scored X amount of goals in the Premier League for West Brom, Everton, etc. He'll come good. And then he just hasn't come good. So I got rid of him probably a year or a bit ago. And he's on his way to Inter Milan, I think. So it's, uh, it hasn't come good. So I was right to sell because he dropped even more. But that was a kind of low because I was just so stubborn and I just kept losing money. And that was quite a large percentage of my portfolio. So I, I really, the other holds I had couldn't really make up for that loss. So I was just losing money over the, you know, two, three months in the first few months of the season. Happens to the best of us though. No, no <laughs> trader has, you know, made a good trade in every one of the trades he made. So, uh, you know, it does happen. And I think that kind of expectance that things will continue to go up for a player is always can be quite dangerous. And also buying high and trying to sell higher, again, another really dangerous thing to do, which again happens sometimes when there are big transfer hyped moves like the Lukaku move to United, like the uh, Murata move to Chelsea. I mean, I remember distinctly the Lukaku move just being so kind of amplified by the media i remember the all the the interviews that were done kind of like by the pool at the time uh paul pogba convincing him to come <laughs> them the, the two of them playing basketball in america it was like i remember just a whole week of basically media about lukaku to man united and a lot of people were just kind of like you know this is gold this is football index gold and uh that was me that was me <laughs> exactly you know it you know hindsight is such an easy thing to look at and be like why did i do that but you know you know you, you, you never can but uh daily's got a question here and it's uh how is your economics background help you on football index yeah i was having i saw this and i was thinking i don't know how i had to kind of think it through because i guess it splits into two sections it's more like the theoretical stuff you learn in a degree pretty much how much does that help and then I think also doing economics really lets you kind of learn in a certain way, kind of connecting the dots in certain ways, which I think helps as well. I guess regarding going back to that kind of how the dividends that a player earns has to be greater than the price. I think when I first saw that kind of theory, I kind of had had it in my head. And I think a, a Twitter account called Taking Value put it in a really concise and very eloquent article. And I thought that's completely what I was thinking. I think maybe fully understanding that probably is helped by my economics background. I did financial economics as my master's and that I did a few modules in kind of assets and uh, stuff to do with like shorting and stuff. So for example, lots of people said, why can't you short on the football index? And I guess the answer is because at the end of the day, everyone's going to be zero when they retire. So therefore everyone will pretty much, if you can short, everyone would just short and be guaranteed to make money in 10, 15 years. So (laughs) it'd completely mess up the price mechanism. And even if you could short, it would have to be on like, for example, I don't know, 30 day contracts. Mm. Um, you wouldn't be able to, even if it was like, yeah, I don't think they'd be able to do like, you know, one year, two year, three years. In the current way the index is set up, I don't think you'd be able to short, right? Because you'd need a, you need someone on the other end. Am I saying that wrong? Yeah. You need someone on the other end. So you'd kind of, you'd be borrowing an asset. So yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So it'd have to be like a market off the back of a market, if that makes sense, Mm. which would be very complicated. So people asking about shorting. We haven't even got order books yet, (laughs) let alone having, you know, an order book and then having a market off the back of a market where you're shorting on the price and not actually 
owning a bet, if that makes sense. Mm. You're just betting on price rather than actually mm. owning a bet. I don't know. It would get very confusing, I think, very quickly. So I guess shorting, for, I guess, those that, to kind of simplify for those that don't, you're kind of gambling that the price goes down in a way. So mm. you're kind of selling the player now, and when their price goes down, you'd be buying them then effectively, therefore making money. So it's kind of the reverse. Uh, that's a very simplified version, but you're kind of betting on a player going down, which you can't really do now because if the price goes down and you own them, then you've lost money. <laughs> Simple mm. as that. So why don't we get into the a bit more of the like economics of football index in itself? So a lot of people have continuously talked about market cap and what's going to happen in the future. Are we just going to continuously go dividend, increase share spirit, and so on and so forth? Which I think people know there's going to be a limit to that. How do you see this thing? And I know no one has the answers. I doubt even Football Index have the answers currently. How do you see that evolving? I don't see dividends increasing, or I don't think they should be increasing. It just kind of artificially inflates the market and then price will rise again. At the end of the day, I think Adam Cole says this a lot. The price of a player will naturally, like right now, will top price is £7.50, which I think is not too much. Because the original point of the share split is the price got too much that a kind of someone coming in for it with 10 quid couldn't afford the player. I think right now it's not a bad price, but the price of a player should increase to the point where I guess the dividends that they're returning are, I don't know, a decent return each year, or at least regarding my logic, covers the price over its lifetime. For example, if Pogba was a million pounds, let's say, for one share, and he was still returning that media that he's doing now every day. People should not be buying that share for a million pounds, even though he's still returning the media. I know right now people maybe don't particularly look at, I guess, how much dividends a player's bringing in compared to like their price. I know a lot of people may not do that. So when someone starts earning media, I don't know, let's say Danny Alves, as soon as Danny Alves made moves to Arsenal, his price may go up 20, 30p. Whereas rationally, knowing he's going to retire in, say, one or two years, that's probably not a particularly smart move. I'm not going to say how people can trade because I know people people can make money off stuff like that. So I guess going back to the kind of capital market size, um, I think kind of let, letting the market naturally increase and be kind of try to encourage a, a rational market. The price of a player, unless they're an exceptional 18-year-old who is English, who's performing as good as Messi was in that like 2012 season where he scored like 100 goals, a player should not be reaching like more than... I'd say like £15, because even if you're assuming the best player attends a pound over each season and he's playing for 15 years, that's £15 in dividends. And therefore, the player shouldn't be more than, say, £15. Yeah. So I guess by that logic, if a player's £15, that could be judged to be too high and would be kind of a barrier to entry for some people coming in with only £10. So maybe another share split could happen in that case. But it would take an extraordinary young player who is extremely good at both media and performance for something like that to be considered, in my eyes at least. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how, because the way an actual market works, the more people that are there, you know, just simple logic of the, the network effect, the more money is in the market and the higher the market cap is. But if there's no reason for the market cap to increase on Football Index, then the new money coming in, uh, yeah, I, I don't really see it. And also, I mean, I guess when we're at market cap, there's going to be 50% winners, 50% mm. losers, especially if we're on a, you know, in an order book system. But the losers won't be going into the pockets of football index. Yeah. So unless the winners are withdrawing significantly, I guess that there won't actually be needed. Like, there won't be more and more new capital needed from fresh users, if that makes sense. So yeah. what I'm trying to wrap my head around and, you know, with your kind of background, you, you can probably help. 
what exactly do you see Football Index doing in that situation where they're getting more customers to come in, but there isn't much of a ceiling for the overall cap of the market to grow? I guess two points here. I guess not everyone fully, I guess, maybe understands why a player can't increase much more than it already is, for example. Mm. So in the same, for example, Danny Alves, he may retire in a year. I talked to someone on Twitter who said, I think he'll be a pound if he moved to Arsenal. And I said, well, Joshua Kimmich only returned 25p, who was the highest performing defender in performance buzz yet, uh, last year. So he'd have to do that for four years. Like, will he play for four years? So not everyone f- maybe fully understands that. So regarding, so I guess it could, you know, the market can still expand, but in a way, those top players would be a bubble, at least in my opinion. The second point would be, although the kind of whole market may not increase, it can kind of move around the market. So as Neymar, say, gets older or performs worse, money reduces out of Neymar and invests in a, a young player who is maybe cheaper. So rather than just everyone increasing, it would be kind of a more fluid movement within the market. So the total market value would probably stay quite similar. And I guess if there's new money coming in, so I guess the market would increase, but then there's always a kind of, in the same way that wages are sticky going downwards, no one wants to reduce their wages. I guess those top players don't want to reduce in their price because not everyone wants to sell them. For example, like houses like £4, £50, £5, whether that can be justified is another matter. So I guess there still can be market a market increase, whether it's justified is another point. And I kind of see it more as a fluid movement within the market of other players that are more justified of a higher price, increasing in price, and the original players who are quite high reducing in price. Yeah, I see it going in one of two directions. I see either Football Index creating a, a dividend mechanism that can be a lot more flexible, aka a percentage of commissions totaled or something that mm. can flex that market um, a certain percentage. Or logically, the more users that are in, the more com- comms that are gathered, the more the dividends are kind of accumulated on, say, game days, the higher uh, a total chunk a player can win. On the other hand what they could do is they could push the in-play dividends thing a bit more and then maybe have another dividend mechanic on top of that and then make it so the form of players is like a lot more transient in nature so players go up and down a lot more it's a lot more volatile and therefore money is a lot more fluid yeah and if money's more fluid they take more commission i think that's obviously in-play dividends well maybe not obviously but in-play dividends kind of created to encourage people to trade and therefore FI to receive more commission. Uh, I think if anyone looks at their transaction history and they compare their, I guess, commissions that they pay to FI compared to their dividends received by FI, that's a kind of indicator of how much FI kind of want you on the platform in a way. So if mm. your dividends you receive is greater than the, your commission, um, FI, are, you're probably beating FI in a way and FI are losing. So yeah, in-play dividends, I think is a really good way to go forward and kind of that's something that I think they'll have to take. And also I think order books coming in will reduce their liabilities regarding yeah. um, them having to pay out on generally just instant selling. Like I'm surprised that very old players, like again, I'm going to use Danny Alves, but Danny Alves, his instant sale is from my knowledge, pretty much his buy price, maybe two, three P less. If I was FI and I was in the kind of risk department, I'd be saying, why would we want to buy this player for 50p say when we have estimated that his dividends are only going to be 10p this year or something like that so i think that's way that kind of at least regarding the profitability of fi they can kind of come in to try to fix and i think that will be fixed with order books i think the older the player 
their price would be quite heavily affected by order books. Mm. Mm, I'd certainly agree. I think order books are going to be very much good for making the cream rise to the, to the top. Yeah. What else are your thoughts on kind of the economic side of, of FI? Have you been talking to anyone that you know in, in the kind of who has a similar kind of background? They don't really understand why X happens or they can't really get their head around something. Is there anything else on your mind? Not particularly. I wouldn't say I've, uh, I guess I finished my degree two years ago now. So back then it was a bit smaller and I probably mentioned mm. it a bit. So, uh, but it's kind of obviously increased over the last well, particular year, I'd say. So the people I kind of talk about it to, particularly they don't have an economics background as such. So there wasn't really, I guess, economics-based questions particularly, but they're always kind of interested about what makes a player go up and down. And my answer is, well, it's kind of supply and demand, but then there's kind of indirect correlation to why people would buy a player. Many mm. of that being logical because they want to, you know, because of the dividend, so that'd be a logical reason, but then there's kind of illogical reasons such as, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. Uh, he plays, he comes back from injury, for example, and he plays one game, so he's playing again. I guess that can be indirectly related to dividends, because if he's playing again, he's more likely to win dividends. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say particularly from an economic side of it. I think it all fairly makes sense, but the, the market, I've realized, isn't particularly rational a lot of the time with certain players. I remember, you know, Messi, there's that big debate, right, over Twitter regarding Messi and He's winning X amount of dividends every year and performing so well. Yeah, his price has gone down over, over the last year and people don't really maybe understand why and stuff, stuff like that. So that's kind of maybe where economics comes in and that idea that the older the player gets, the less chance they have of winning dividends before their value becomes zero. Mm, mm. So I guess, yeah, no, I not really. <laughs> Sorry to have a very long, long-winded long answer, but no, no one's really asking me too much about the kind of economic side of it. <laughs> uh, well, we'll move on to our uh, data section now. And I had a look at the Index Gain Buzz Pro Advanced Price Movement Report I, very randomly. And then in the past 20 days, four of the top 10 biggest movers from a pound or capital standpoint have been Manchester United players. So how do you feel about this United bias here, Phil? And what do you think the future holds for Media Buzz? Uh, United bias. I think it makes sense because I don't know. Even because United, the, the word, word yeah. in itself, give you more points. Yeah, I think United. I think maybe not too many people know kind of the algorithm of how points are allocated to articles, but it's based on you know how emotionally uh, I don't know strong uh, words are regarding in the article headline. So the more kind of strong the word is, the more points you get for the articles. So United being, I think maybe it's rather than a 20-pointer, it'd become a 30-pointer or something like that. So those small margins, I guess, make a difference regarding if they finish in the at the top or in the top three or something like that. So yeah, like you said, United. But I'd say that's not a massive thing. I think it's just the natural pull of British newspaper organisations to concentrate on Manchester United because they are the arguably the biggest club and have been over the last 20 years. So they must have a reason, you know, data to suggest that most people support Man United. So when they write articles on Man U, most people read them and click the ads or watch the ads. Um, mm. So I think it makes sense. However, at the same time, we've seen lots of players come into Man U, like Lukaku, for example, and he just doesn't have that pull because you have to combine playing for Manchester United with playing well and at least being <laughs> controversial in some way. So I guess, yeah, I think there is a United bias, and I think it's fair in a way. Um, maybe the kind of word United being part of the algorithm, even though it's just the name of a club, that's maybe more debatable. But the minute you change that and make an exception for that, 
you're going to be making an exception for all these words. Like, fair enough, ISCO being in the word discovered and getting articles for that. Yeah, get rid of that. That's not fair. But United as a, an actual word, a set alone word, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think there should be more common sense, though. And look, I own some Manchester United players, so this is me trying to be unbiased. But if context was taken into account, like you've just mentioned, so we don't have Isco getting points for discovered, then why the the name of a club shouldn't really impact the media buzz score. It's like if a team was called, I don't know, the the London winners, <laughs> right? They would just hypothetically <laughs> yeah. humor me. The players on that team would sweep up dividends just because of the like if they just you know can you imagine london winners lose four nil to newcastle 500 points an article (laughs) yeah exactly so obviously that's a outlandish and stupid example by me but i'm just trying to get that point across that (laughs) that's my next venture isn't it (laughs) starting that team Uh, (laughs) and i think context should be added for example i don't see why players should have to have their first and second names in a headline Mm. i don't see why football index can't scrape an article and see that it's about you know, Paul Pogba rather than his brother, or why it's about, you know, um, Phil Jones, not like another Jones. Mm. I don't know. I think there's a few points to mention there. So I thought to cover your first point, I think it would require, I imagine, more resource and therefore more money from an FI point of view. So I guess from their, I, from their side, maybe that's, you know, it's an unwanted and unneeded, in many cases, uh, expense. Regarding the kind of point about Manchester United and it you know, it's not being used as a kind of descriptive word. It's just the name of the club. Theoretically, I completely actually agree with you. But the fact is that these players have their prices are kind yeah. of are reflecting that United, they will be getting extra scores. A bit like Mo Salah, you know, his name's Mohamed Salah. But FI about two years ago made a very probably stupid mistake. Really Strange the, discussion. Uh, changing to say that if his name's Mo Salah rather than Mohamed, then he would be getting, you know, he would be credited with articles. So that was one exception where if they suddenly change that, which, to be fair, they should. It should be Mohammed, not Mo Salah, in the same way that other names you don't take. I don't know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or something. or you, Leo Messi. Leo, exactly, exactly. But if they were to do that, it would cause, it may be fairly a price drop, but it'd cause kind of controversy and volatility that they probably don't want in the market. So theoretically, I completely agree. It's just it's hard to go back when something's set like that now. Mm, see, I'd I'd kind of maybe push back or disagree on the capital expenditure for OFI in terms of more expense in terms of someone actually having to scrape it or creating something that scrapes these articles. Mm. Because the ROI for that is, one, the product is more logical and intuitive, makes more sense. Two, you've got less people asking you, your customer service people questions as to why this article wasn't attributed and why this one was why this was scored this high why blah 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 blah. you can see where i'm going why mo salah is called or why mohammed salah and mo salah are both attributed to the same player so i would argue that the roi there is actually quite tangible from a resource perspective because you don't need to have as many people explaining why stuff happens on football index because you've made the product more simple i yeah it's it is a can of worms because again this is something that if it happened if they were to say look we're going to remove the United bias. It's going to be second names only that are needed because, you know, that makes sense. Football players are called mostly by their second name. No one calls 
Paul Pogba Paul <laughs> in you know in articles they First name basis. they can sometimes record him uh, just refer to him as as Pogba so yeah if those two things happened and I don't know like they open it up to European outlets as well you just have to probably nudge dividends up a little bit on the MB side and maybe they don't want to do that again but whatever they need to do to kind of cope with the the backlash that could come from some users yeah i i particularly see the point regarding you know explaining like customer server having to explain it i think there needs to be far more clarity at least regarding i'm just thinking of the most salah thing i imagine that isn't recorded formally in the frequently asked questions uh, anywhere <laughs> no, no, no. so that's just something that we know because we've been on the platform for a while and people listening yeah. to this will know because we've just told them so yeah i think especially stuff like that that needs to be a bit more professional if they're mm. going to keep stuff like that so i don't think it should just be if you know it you know and if you don't you don't i think everyone should be on the same playing field level playing field if they're going to be making investment choices in the same prices for the player mm, mm. well uh cheers to the guys at index game for that data if you guys want to check out index gain who are a research tool. They do lots of stuff such as uh, portfolio monitoring, uh, price move notifications, and, and so on and so forth. You guys can use my code FIG2020 for 50% off your first month over on indexgain.co.uk. Do you use it, Phil? I do not. I use a third party that I will not be mentioning, oh. I imagine, on here uh, because I don't well. want to discredit Index Gain, but I don't. I don't. Mm, interesting. That's uh... something that... Is recommended. You make it sound quite ominous. No, no. <laughs> I mean I use, um, I guess, uh, well, Football Index Edge. That, that, that's the one I use uh, uh-huh, for, okay. for data. But um, I've heard Index Games really good, and lots of people use it. So I will also endorse it. Mm, well, <laughs> there you go. Two endorsements. <laughs> the next section is all about the PB matrix. So recently, FI put out the second part of their survey about the performance buzz scoring matrix, which I didn't receive, and I'm sure many others didn't. Uh, because my email isn't up to date on Football Index and I can't change it. So Metropolis from the Football Index forum, first of all, he said, 20 days, nearly three weeks. How did you cope? Well, earlier in the episode, you kind of explained that you coped all right. Thoughts on the new performance buzz scoring matrix. So uh, he's kind of very much putting words in our mouth because there isn't officially anything new. There was just kind of stuff, I guess, that has alluded to something changing phil have you had a look at these uh, emails and surveys i have i couldn't remember exactly part one because uh, it was a while mm. ago so i remember they asked a, uh, i think they asked exactly what i would like to kind of see if there was another performance buzz uh scoring matrix created and the kind of main things i covered were assist points how many points you get for an assist i think it's 10 at the moment kind of going up to 20 i think they're quite undervalued personally and that's something i'd like to see generally i don't like change because i think from a platform point of view too much change is not too good and from a selfish point of view i know how the performance buzz matrix works so the minute it changes in the same way when the share split happened i just i saw prices and i didn't really know if that was expensive or not expensive in the same way that <laughs> the performance buzz score matrix change it would suddenly be a you know a new thing and my expertise in what i knew the old one worked I, it would kind of go out the window so from a selfish point of view I don't want too much change, but assist points, uh, I think game-winning goal, I think that's um, I think it's a bit unfair in a way. It doesn't reward if a player does well, particularly. I know game-winning goal, you know, if fair enough if they score a game-winning goal in the last minute of the game when it's 1-0 to make it 2-1. About the same time, if it was 2-0 and the other team score a last-minute, you know, consolation, it's not exactly the same. I think they're trying to reward, like, 
a game-winning player, but in many respects, mm. it's kind of slightly off. And then finally, kind of clean sheets for defenders that play 75 minutes or more, because I think having to play so many times, 89th minute sub of a defender, they don't get the extra 40 points, they don't win the performance dividends, and I'm out of a few quid. So part one, that's kind of from my knowledge, that's what they asked, and that's what I kind of want. Part two, particularly, um, I thought part two was good, to be honest. I thought what they're asking was, what I realised was, particularly when they're asking about such things like key passes, dribbles, and aerial duels, those are things that are covered comprehensively on who scored the website, which kind of measures how players play and how well they perform. So when I kind of went through the performance matrix just before this, there were some things which is really hard to measure, like a last man tackle, you know, 17 points, something mm. that's really hard to get data on. But like an aerial duel, winning an aerial duel, dribbling past player key passes, these are all things which can be easily seen on free matrices, uh, sorry, free like performance measuring platforms. So I think that's a really good move to make mm. it easier for people to understand how performance bus scores are created. I really like that. How exactly, how many points they give to them, that's another matter. Um, but I think it's definitely a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a, a good thing that they're looking at improving or refining the product. I think the timeline is off. Oh, yeah. I think the timeline is really, we're really off. We're not too off. sure, though, about if the you consider... Yeah, yeah, we're not. But I find it weird why you do it three weeks before the season if it's definitely not going to be for mm. the season. Do you yeah, know what I mean? it puts people off. Like, you could have done it... Do you know what... You, they, like, logically, if you're doing it for 2020-21, then you do it after the first week or two of games, so people have got the performance buzz scoring matrix refreshed in their brain, and also the new users that have come over the summer actually see and feel the matrix in play and understand it more, and then you put the survey out and people are like, oh, yeah, actually, that thing really pisses me off. So... I'm slightly concerned that um, this could be, and again, I have no information, this is purely speculative, this is my thinking, um, considering just looking at the way that they've done it and the timeline, that it could, and this would be actually crazy in my eyes, be for this coming season. I think it would be insane. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, yeah, regarding the actual what they may be wanting change, I think that's fine. I think there was a quick question on, you know, would you be up for certain leagues getting weighted? So I'm completely oh, against yeah. that. Mm, no. But the actual, when, when, you know, it happening right now in the last, I don't know when it came out, two days ago, three days ago, uh, mm. without actually saying if they're going to implement it or when, I think that's a big no-no. So I completely agree with what you said. I think doing it right before the season, uh, it just causes more volatility, which I know they're trying to prevent and they're not going to want. But I think it will just confuses people. It's not good. And it goes against the grain after the MB announcement where they gave a lot of statistical backing behind their decision in terms of opening up the squad for Media Buzz. And they gave a good time horizon, which was, I think, three to six months, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, no, it was. I can't it remember. Was it, was, it was done with quite, yeah. April, maybe. I seem, yeah, I seem to make sure, remember it being kind of, yeah, that kind of time, March, April time. So you're looking at, yeah, four or five months, which is a decent chunk of time for people to get ready. And I, I mean, some people have argued that they should change the matrix, but not implement it for three years, which I think is probably too extreme. Um, I think if you give people, you know, six months, 12 months, that's fair enough. But it's a perfect opportunity for them now to, well, I guess the earliest in my head that they could do it without crazy, crazy backlash would be Christmas. Yeah, I'd say 
as in announce it before the season and you know changes christmas yeah time. no I'd, I'd agree with that because then it's a uh, well at least in the premier league a natural break i know that other sorry not a natural break with other leagues there are natural breaks but i guess premier league continues so it may not be a perfect time i guess there isn't a perfect time except well it'd be the start of the season after the, this coming one but that in a year's time i don't think they'd be changing in a year so it is a bit worrying mm-hmm. and also they haven't really announced whether or not in play dividends are going to continue which is again I'd another be very surprised if they didn't continue because i think that's yeah i, I agree that is how they i imagine make a lot of their profit mm, i just don't know why you wouldn't say it by now i know maybe well in the same way that maybe they didn't mention a lot about uh ipos until well i guess it was today wasn't it uh, they may be kind of waiting for inplay dividend like a big announcement regarding uh something changing but you know i can see what you mean i in my head i never considered they weren't going to happen so i wasn't particularly worried in that sense but i've kind of looking around on within the community and there seems to be more and more people getting worried about them not coming back so you know they really should squash that one Mm, yeah i think they should i was speaking to someone who's a very big stats person and they said they really hate the key pass metric they say that kind of the statisticians or the footballing stats nerds out there really hate this metric because it's redefined really often by the stats providers so that was something that I didn't really think of. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. You know, creative players do that quite often. I kind of know what a key pass is. But apparently, according to the stats kind of community, it's very, uh, it's kind of a flaky stat, which uh, I, I don't really know about. Subjective to just the average user, it's quite hard for someone to see if they're watching the game. Was that a key pass? Was it not a key pass? Um, regarding, I don't know, perhaps if I was challenging that a little bit, I don't watch every game in the top five leagues every week so regarding whether i can watch a game and say whether that's a key pass or not as long as what we're using fi as defining key pass and what yeah. the analytical platforms that kind of measure all these things also are using the same metric for key pass then i can kind of trust in that data pretty much to say how many key passes does that player make every game because i'm not going to watch it in a way you kind of see what I mean. I know when I'm watching the game, I do. It may be frustrating, but regarding deciding how I invest and who I invest into, that wouldn't be too much of a concern. Yeah, yeah, I do see what you mean. I do see what you mean. Yeah, it's interesting. I think so. Dribbles, you know, aerial duels. I think they're very cut and dry. Very, you know, there's a lot more objectivity mm. about them than maybe key passes would be. My only thing, but I, I do agree to some extent that. Even if the rules are wrong, there are a set of rules that we can abide to and base our bets on, right? So uh, that's what you can look at it as. And another thing that might kind of open a can of worms is when the season starts again is positional changes, (laughs) which I think have been swept under the rug. And I don't want to, you know, alarm anyone, but I think we could see some big moves up and down because of this at the beginning of the season. Because am I not, am I right in saying that? If a player starts in a certain position, FI can change them or Opta might change them. I yeah, don't know. it's based on Opta, isn't it? I don't think FI have a particular yeah. say from my knowledge on what position they are because I think there was that kind of scandal, wasn't it, right at the just before international mm. break uh, after the season ended, people worried. So the, the reasoning was that Opta have national team positions and club positions and whether or not some of the players got changed and then changed back... And then it's just whether or not those players get changed again when they start playing. I don't know, like I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on that. (laughs) From my memory, I think, like you said, there was kind of the international positions and the national and the kind of club positions. 
And I think if I said something along the lines, don't quote me, I just definitely do the research on this, but that they, I think they were going to try to prevent that kind of international bit coming into play unless it kind of was like the Euros or the World Cup where it'd be actually used. So I have a fair amount of confidence that, for example, I hold Joshua Kimmich that when the season starts, if he plays right back uh, for club, that he will stay as right back on the football index. He would not be changed to a defensive midfielder. I have a fair amount of confidence, but saying that you never know, <laughs> you never know with these, these things. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's just it's one of those things, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, definitely keep an eye out. Definitely keep an eye out. But we'll move on to IPOs now. Talk of the town at the moment. Uh, a lot going on in the football index world. Uh, Mark Woods, please could you let us newbies know about IPOs? There's a few players not on the index, Everton Suarez in particular, and would like to know how to buy these players and not get ripped off, as I don't know 100% how these IPOs work. I mean, jo- join Does the anybody? Club. Yeah, I was going to say, join the club. <laughs> so I guess IPOs originally, I guess maybe it's not too relevant, but they used to be, they used to come out at one o'clock and quarter past one. So you knew an exact time that the player would be IPO'd and it'd just be a kind of rush to click and buy as much as you can at a certain price. It's always like 25p back in the day. So something like 5p now would have been a ridiculous price. Uh, But more recently, they've just been coming out in a, I guess, a certain time block. So they say this player would be announced between 12 o'clock and two o'clock at any sort of time. And it'd be released at this price, a stated price. And then it'd just be kind of luck of the draw that if you happen to search for that player and he just appeared on the football index that you could get him at a low price. So that's, I guess, how it used to work. And up until today, also how it's going to work until, I guess, uh, they were, well, they said they were going to improve it over the summer, the IPO system. And uh, they announced the IPOs today and they're going to be released tomorrow. And it hasn't changed one bit. It's still going to be a bit of a mess. Not at uh, all. But I really do hope that they change it to a sort of bidding system where um, if you mm. so say like Everton Suarez or Su- Suarez came out at £1 and everyone bidded, say 10,000 people bid it, you know, I want to buy the player at £1, then you kind of go into kind of raffle in a way, a kind of a, 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 mm. a ballot. So it would incentivize people to put a higher bid into say £1.30, £1.40 because less people would be willing to pay that price. Hence, you have a better chance of getting them at that price, if you see what I mean. So that's something in my head of how yeah. it could work. I know it could be quite complicated, like algorithmically how to sort it out, but I think that's something that should, they should be looking into. Yeah, I think I put out a tweet the other day talking about IPOs and, and what people think that they could do with them. And this was before they announced that they weren't going to change. I think Football Index Trader here said possibly an auction system, mm. so basically what you've described. My rebuttal to that, or kind of devil's advocate bit, was I like it, but it's a huge leap in terms of functionality for Football Index. We don't even have a functioning watch yeah. list. <laughs> that is true. And especially with order books, I think if they can conquer order books, which I think will be a huge thing, because that really changes the kind of selling dynamic massively. If they can kind of conquer that, yeah. and I know we should be looking at an IPO system kind of before order books. I think everyone anticipates it and wants it probably before order books. But if they can conquer order books, I feel like they would then be able to and should be able to conquer IPOs because I think order books is probably going to be a bigger task, at least in my head. Yeah. There's a few suggestions of capping the amount of shares that you can 
by in the first like five, ten, yeah. twenty minutes, or even up to twenty-four hours. Some people said. I think Darcy here on the thread said, "Drop them all in at five pounds a share, and they go down by ten p a day or something until a certain amount of shares have been sold. That way, the market decides when to start buying them." Bit out there, but a thought I had while walking the dog. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. I'd have to think about how it actually no. work with like how much would someone have to buy a player at that price to make them stop dropping in price because someone could just say at five pounds just buy like a thousand and then they wouldn't drop anymore or something like that and then they're forever capped at five pounds and cannot never go any lower something like that it would be but it's certainly an idea yeah that's not necessarily a bad thing though if someone wants to i guess lose a lot of money then they could do that but it like one person or one account could kind of spite the whole community in a way because they would be the only person holding that player and no one would be able to actually buy him at any price lower which you could argue whether that's a bad thing or not it just kind of ruins the fun say you really want to buy a player and you think he's worth two pounds he starts at five pounds and someone just i don't know really really rates him and thinks five pounds a great price then that price will never go lower than five pounds and a lot of people are going to be missing out on buying a a player that they really want to own and Mm. feel should be cheaper but physically can't be cheaper yeah, I, on the, uh, I was wondering about kind of the the logistics of it in terms of FI manually changing prices. Again, kind of a, it is, a kind yeah. of worms. And th- it would probably have to be a reissuance because they're bets that are being issued, right? Whenever a player IPOs, it's a bet that's being issued by FI. And if someone wants to take up that bet, they can. So they'd have to be reissuing. I guess they'd have to re-IPO a player every time. Yeah. That is, like you say, can of worms. They could, can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> I think this one was, was interesting. Well, not interesting. It was probably the most sensible in terms of how simple it was. It was from F-I-C-K-L-E. Is that supposed to be F-I-C-K-L-E? F-I-C-K-L-E or F-I-C-K-L-E? I don't know. So he says two scheduled mass IPOs uh, days every year. Super Sundays, <laughs> as it were. 200 plus players drop. No times given. Sell button unavailable on the day. Allow traders to concentrate on who they want and ensures they only buy who they intend to hold. And I said, I wouldn't actually be against this too much. Maybe done once a month, once a quarter or whatever. And if they're dropped in mass amounts, the likelihood of players flying all at the same time is quite low. So maybe they could do something like that if they don't want anything kind of resource yeah. and intensive. And I'd love it just if kind of Football Index branded that like super sunday or like ipo sunday and they made a huge like media social media thing out of it i would just love it like they turn it into like a sky sports super sunday thing with like commentary and everything it'd be a good day mm. uh, <laughs> no it's that it would sounds, be good I think one day maybe the, the ipo thing's a really tough thing to do i personally didn't mind too much the one and 1 p.m 115 thing i know it was just fastest finger gets the price but at least it was kind of fair in a way that everyone knew they were coming at that price and everyone could be if they, you know, took five minutes out of work on a Friday, there to buy the player. And I know it kind of depends on the internet a bit, but kind of right now, you could just kind of stumble <laughs> upon a player and you could benefit. It's very random. There's no kind of like, if I really wanted to get a player tomorrow, I'm unlikely to get them yeah. at a price. We don't want this Pokemon, <laughs> do we? It's like, like more, yeah. I, I don't know what I'm trying to think of other analogies, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, like we, we want actual footballing knowledge mm. to be rewarded right so uh, that's football index mantra and that's not being reflected in the ipo system but i think that there was a lot of not outcry but disappointment today in the football index community when people saw that it wasn't changing the system did you agree with yeah. that disappointment did you I share said, those I thoughts completely. i remember them announcing like tweeting letter i then p and i was thinking you know o or d is next it could be either it could be either but it was a, a no <laughs> ipo and i was 
was hoping, you know, a brand new system like any of the ones we kind of described just now, something better. Then it was just the same thing. And at least IPOs have started again, but in the same, at the same time, a lot of those players coming out tomorrow are players that I have emailed FI about six months ago saying, can you put them out? And they're going to be put out in a way that's going to prevent me really getting them. I'd rather they were put out in a month when they sort out IPOs where I could actually have a chance of buying them at a reasonable price. I don't know if I said it on the last episode, but I said I wouldn't be a against waiting like another two or three months if there was yeah, another I don't system think it's desperately needed i know there's some players like that uh hoffenheim bell for dill who's scoring like a few goals in like a top five league but the other players are just pretty much really young players who are you know in generally not top five league who are playing at the age of 17 18 which you don't particularly need straight away at least from the kind of media or the performance dividend side of it they're not missing out on anything yet I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, there's Everton, I guess, that's being linked that's to true. Arsenal. That's one of the ones. That's a big uh, one. I'd, I'd, it's just really, really confusing as to why they also built that hype about it, if that makes sense. They did the I whole IP. I was so tweet. ready. And then it was just like, imagine if you sent your car to a mechanic and they said, oh, it'll be a lot better when you come and collect it. And then on the phone, like the day that you were going to collect it, they were like, oh, yeah, like, I think it's really exciting, but wait till you see. And then you get to the garage and it's just the same car. Mm. You'd be pretty yeah, annoyed. <laughs> I think it was all quite disappointing, especially the hyping up. And then we haven't really mentioned the prices of the players, but they're, I guess the last IPO from my knowledge was kind of pre-share split. So I guess when, when you're looking at a player and they, you know, mm. £1, £1.10, you're thinking, oh, okay, that's not that bad. Pre-share split, that's like £3, three, you know, that's a hell of a lot of money. And... But that's kind of like uh, in line with the market now, though, isn't it? I think... I understand the I, pricing a little I bit I think more. some of them are... I was hoping some, probably just selfishly, would be less. So I'd have a chance of getting them at a price that I thought was lower than what they're worth. So actually, maybe you're right. Maybe the price they're coming out is just the going rate. But at the same time, is the going rate the actual value of the player in a way? You know, a lot of these IPOs always come out and mm. there's a a massive bubble pretty much like the price i remember when doozy came out and i know looking back the price was quite low compared to our prices now but he went up to like two pounds or something and i was just thinking like he's not that great but no i think yeah probably prices are about right but i always want to see prices lower so i can get a good bargain (laughs) all right uh we'll move on from ipos football index spyro how does phil feel like he was an l away from being the world's best touch player on a more serious note and linking to Phil getting that L, what's the biggest mistake you've made on the index and what have you done to present these, prevent these mistakes reoccurring? So I think you've talked about that stubbornness yeah. earlier. We've gone into that quite a lot. We won't let you, you know, rub <laughs> any more salt in your wounds. What have you stopped think, doing or what have you done to prevent those mistakes? I think kind of ironically, when I was comparing with like Lukaku and Morata, I was very stubborn. I didn't sell. But one of my biggest mistakes that i'll probably use here was i pretty much a player went down in value and i just got rid this was kind of early on where i thought oh he's down in value let's just get rid so for example pogba oh god i own pogba right at the start pretty much and when you look at his value now it's just it's something crazy like i bought him for like 8p and sold him for like 10p or something like that in like today's market it was just absolutely crazy but yeah so i guess in that example with pogba and also seller i bought he went down a bit sold obviously holding him would have worked out well i think kind Mm. of ironically having more patience and not just seeing the true value of that player not getting too scared by what the market's doing unless there's an actual drastic change in why that price has gone down 
So I guess back then the price goes down. I don't really know why. I get worried I'm going to lose a lot of money. I sell. Whereas right now, I'd probably think he's gone down in price. Uh, I've kind of scoured the internet. I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe there's a rumor to a certain club. I then evaluate that in my head saying, what's probability of him saying moving to that bad club or you know stuff like that. And if it's still in my head that he's good price, good value at that price, I'd still hold him. So I guess... Ironically, stuff that kind of messed me up with, with Lukaku and Murata, kind of the stubbornness of it. Maybe it's not stubbornness anymore, but not getting too scared of losses and going kind of in the red with certain players. If I can justify clearly why I hold that player. So like Jaden Sancho for me is in the red now, like maybe 100 quid down. But in my head, I think that's good value for the player. And, you know, maybe it's top up time, but probably not. I hold a fair few of him. So, yeah, I'd say kind of. Not getting scared of the red. That's uh, something I've done to kind of prevent mistakes I've had in the past. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a lot of people do get scared, especially when there was still red. Now it's blue. That's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Football Index Focus, uh, last question of the show. You've got control of the marketing budget until the end of the year. What are your top three priorities can be aimed at new or existing customers? PS, glad to see your suspension. Lifted Thank you very much, Focus. This is a tough one. I was kind of thinking about this for a while because a lot of the ways that they've marketed, I'd say, quite successful. So in many respects, I'd say kind of continue. But at the same time, there's a maximum amount of players or kind of traders that you can get in using those ways. And I don't think we're at that max yet. You know, like you said, bet 365, 1.5 million or something, and we're on 300, 400,000. So I think continuing stuff like we're doing, I particularly like the advertising boards at football stadiums. I think that's really good. You see it on like Match of the Day or on Sky or BT. I know they're quite expensive, but I think there was one in the Fulham game or something, and uh, I think the Chelsea player had scored just as the Football Index advertising board kind of came up, you know, and I thought that was really good. I'd say shirt sponsors is something good. They're kind of, they've gone from Bristol Rovers to Nottingham Forest. If they could get a Premier League club, I know that's a lot of money, but that would be huge. That would really be huge. I know the Premier League's very expensive though, so you don't want them to go over the top. If I could have one more, it would be like, if they could sponsor, whether it's legal to do this actually, but to sponsor like a cup, like the, what's it, the, Vanarama trophy or the Checker Trade trophy, whatever the trophy is now, that trophy like <laughs> League One and below can play. Just imagine if it's called the Football Index trophy and Adam Cole handing the trophy to the winner. It would just be it'd just be heroic. I'd love it so much. So I know that cost a fair bit, but that would be awesome. Mm, mm. So many things that they could do, right? I do think the um Lon- I know you know, being a Londoner this is quite biased, but the London based advertisement mm, has been, has been super. I don't know if they they've got any more. Right, yeah, the, the buses. Today. I don't know if they've got There's any a, more plans on that's that. Quite, that's quite. Yeah, first. yeah, well, that's, that was that's quite a good idea. In the same way, transport. You know, that's really good. So yeah, fully behind that. Another one that uh, maybe not so much targeted until they go into European territories or foreign territories is uh, in airports. Kind of like when people are waiting for their yeah. luggage. I think there's so many like spaces that you can advertise. If we're talking like physical advertising, there's so many different areas that. Just imagine Piccadilly Circus, that'd be awesome. Again, very expensive. All of the things I'm thinking are very expensive. But I think the social media presence is really good. I think the word of mouth works. I think the promotions work a lot. Deposit Mm. promotions, stuff like that. So yeah, Yeah. I think the promotions are really good. And if they're somewhat not losing catastrophic amounts of money, giving out these bonuses, I think they really work. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I I think the bonuses do work. It's, uh, I don't know, It's, it's it's an interesting one. We'll, uh, we'll we'll see what they do with the marketing. I do I do want them to see. They should look at kind of other content as well. The YouTube ads have been really good, but in terms of 
advertising on podcasts, getting more YouTubers or influencers to, to do stuff I think could be quite good. I know they do the stuff with Mark Goldbridge. They have Guillaume Balaguet. I think that stuff is quite powerful, especially if it's more long term. Yeah. No, I think it's something definitely to go into. I know there's probably some criteria regarding YouTubers and uh, kind of advertising gambling products. It's something that could limit Football Index a bit um, regarding going into that territory. Because I know the particular rules around advertising and mm. Instagram and stuff, they've had to kind of crack down on what they advertise, especially if it's too, if they're, it depends who you're going to, but if they're kind of, going to if their demographic is under 16 or well i guess 18 like a fair proportion of it maybe it wouldn't be kind of ethically supported i'm not too sure yeah but there are going to be stuff there are going to be things like that that you know maybe these companies crank down more on and it'd be more difficult for football index to actually get their finger in as many pies as they were or have been doing but so yeah it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with this i don't know if we've really felt the effect of this tripling marketing budget i'm not sure about you i think august maybe is where we see it really kick on just before the season starts Mm -hmm. it's always a quiet period summer i think i mean i've had two or three friends join over summer and they kind of get the media thing but then when i'm trying to you know, talk to them, oh, you, so that's only half the, the kind of football index experience. You have all this kind of performance <laughs> stuff and explain the matrix and it really does get, I guess, somewhat quite confusing. But yeah, I think as soon as the season starts, mm. that's where like the marketing budget, I don't know if it's being used before the season, but I think we should be seeing results come, say, August, September. Mm, definitely, definitely. Well, Phil, I think we're just ticking over an hour and 10 minutes or so. So, uh, I think, you know, I'll let you get on with the rest of the evening. Thank you very much for joining me. No worries. Thank you for having me. Where can people find out more about you? I guess it's just at Phil underscore Tyra. That's my, uh, I guess it's my personal account, but also my football index account. I don't really have separate ones. I think if I had a football index account, I'd probably be like a few more followers than I do have already. But uh, no, please go at Phil underscore Tyra if you want to hear more from me and see a few more tweets. Go ahead. Awesome, man. You've been a a wonderful, wonderful guest. Thanks for coming on. If you guys are on your commute currently, I hope this speeds up that bit. And if you guys aren't commuting, doing whatever you're doing, you know, tending to your garden, feeding your horses, feeding the dogs, whatever, or uh, walking your dogs, yeah, doing whatever you're doing, shout out to the non-commute crew. Sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions, especially if he ones about Phil's suspension. Uh, we would have had a whole two-hour podcast just him answering those individual ones, so just pick the uh, the most general one there. Congratulations to uh, Aaron Kearney. Well done. Most generalistic question one. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Cheers.